If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews, and let's go to chapter 10. We want to pick up our study in verse 26, and then take it through verse 39. But you'll notice that the writer of the book of Hebrews is quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And this is our teaching this morning. The just shall live by faith. And I like the word Habakkuk. It means embraced by God. And so in verse 2 of, or verse 4 of Habakkuk chapter 2, he says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his or her faith. Faith in God. And so we know that there's two groups of people. Either we're prideful and we've not come to saving grace, or we're the just that lives by faith. We've come to that place now, and we desire to know God. And we come to that place of salvation. And so we know that the Hebrew Christians that this letter is being pinned to were struggling greatly. It was not easy. Imagine at this time, we estimate that there's at least two to four years left before 70 A.D. hits. And great judgment was going to come upon the nation of Israel, especially there in Jerusalem. I want you to imagine if you're a Hebrew at this time. Temple is going to be destroyed. The city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And you are going to scatter to the four corners of the earth. And even today, 2,000 years later, there's still not a temple. And so the Hebrew Christian needed to lean upon God. And as we're going through our trials, as we go through our hardship, our pain, the just are going to live by faith, our faith in Christ. Now, I want you to remember this. I, I've always loved this scripture. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus says to have mustard seed faith. It's the simplest faith that you can have. If you've ever had the opportunity to look and, and examine a mustard seed, it's smaller than a BB. And Jesus said, have this kind of faith, mustard seed faith. And then he goes on in that scripture, you can move a mountain. And so we come to the place of our trials, our hardships, our pain, and we have to trust God. That was the Hebrew Christian then, and what about us today? Now, Paul the Apostle loved this verse because he quotes it later in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. And I believe Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews here. At the conclusion of this morning's text, we're going to see it again. The just shall live by their faith, trusting God in everything and in anything. We've all gone through trials. We've all gone through our hardship and our pain. Imagine when you finally come to the place, you understand whatever I'm going through, whatever you're going through, it first has to filter through God's hands. He's not surprised that you go through what you go through. But what do we deal with it in our hearts? I see two logics that even are part of my life. When I come to that place of that crossroad in my life, that hardship, that pain, that trial, I can either run to God or I can run from God. And obviously, he desires that we run to him. And so he begins here now the struggles of the Hebrew Christians. But what about us now, 2,000 years later? Look at verse 26, Hebrews chapter 10. 
For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Listen to the logic now as the Holy Spirit pins this. If we sin willfully, if we sin, listen to the translation, voluntarily choose to sin. In other words, I'm a Christian now. But we continue in sin, the same sin sometimes, over and over. We have received the full knowledge of the truth. We understand that we've come to saving grace, or the truth of Christ being part of my life. I understand that he died for me, and that he rose again. And that by accepting him, I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. But I continue in my sin. There is no other sacrifice that will cover these sins. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. Has there been change in my life, in your life? Is there transformation? 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, If any man, any woman be in Christ, there has to be change. And I speak from experience. How could I be a Christian and continue to drink to the point of drunkenness? Those of you that struggle to whatever you struggled in. If you were just a, a blatant liar. You come to Christ now, there has to be change. If you were a thief, you come to Christ now, there has to be change. Some of us in the workplace and then in the military, you learn how to curse. But we come to Christ, there has to be change. James says that God takes our, our tongue and he bridles it. And so there has to be this transformation. But if we continue to willfully sin, we continue to uh, voluntarily choose to sin. Well, I'm going to do this Friday night or I'm going to do this Saturday night because I'm going to church Sunday morning. You see, I had that logic. Some of you had that logic. And yet next week you do it again. Where's the change? Where's the transformation? Now, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner saved by grace. And we are going to sin. But when you habitually and you plan the sin, very dangerous. He goes on. Uh, listen to verse 27. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. The word is enemies of God. If we continue in that sin mode. Yeah, I might call myself a Christian. But I continue to voluntarily sin. I choose to sin. We're stacking the odds against us. Sooner or later, the judgment will come. That's what the scripture says. Now, if you're not born again of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing to look forward to but God's judgment. The judgment of God, raging fire, he uses the description here. Fires of hell that will consume all of God's enemies. What makes you an enemy of God? It's continued rejection of his love that was given to us at the cross. The cross of Calvary. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten son. Have we accepted that sacrifice on the cross? You see, I came to grips years ago. I remember my friend telling me, Bob, either you love God or you love Satan. Either you serve God or you serve Satan. Now, I didn't like that because I never considered myself Serving Satan. I mean, I love God, but I never served him. I knew of God, but I never accepted his son. And so if I'm not serving God, I'm serving the enemy. 
And it's a hard concept when you come to grips with it. Now, I looked at this verse years ago, and I tell you what, it shook the very foundation. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus says, Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. God never intended hell, listen, for mankind. Hell was created for the fallen angels. Hell was created for the demon world. But because of our sin nature, and he's addressing this to the Hebrew Christian, because of our sin nature, if we don't accept Christ, then we're looking at damnation. We're looking at this place of judgment. Interesting to me that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Because the Bible says the road to destruction is very wide, but the road to salvation is very narrow and very straight. Look at some of us, how long it took to come to saving grace. I struggled personally for a three and a half year span. I'm okay. God's not going to judge me. I'm a good person. And I remember hearing an old preacher, I wonder how many good people are in hell. Because your goodness is not going to save you. Only the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, he's talking to Hebrew Christians. So look at verse 28 now. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony. And this was very solid for Hebrews. The testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, when we speak of the New Testament, you live by faith in God's grace. Unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. But God gives us his grace. Now, the Old Testament, your faith was in the law. Listen to the Holy Spirit. All who rejected the law, cast the law aside, denied the, the laws of divine authority. The law was given from God to Moses and to God's people, Israel. All these, by presumptuous sinning, died without mercy, without the grace of God. This is Old Testament. The Bible says that Abraham believed God. Listen, by faith. I want you to write this down in Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 and 31. The law of presumptuous sin. In verse 30 it says, But those who brazenly violate the Lord's will, whether native Israel or Gentile, blasphemes the, the Lord, and they must be cut off from the sheepfold. Radical statement. In verse 31, since they have treated the Lord's word with contempt and deliberately disobeyed his commandments, they must be completely cut off from and suffer the consequences of their guilt. In other words, suffer the consequences of hell judgment, damnation, eternal punishment. And this was done according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6 under two or three witnesses that they would be convicted that's still used that logic is still used in, in a court of law today by two or three witnesses now it was so much easier Old Testament, New Testament it was so much easier when the law was fulfilled by Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior Jesus said I did not come to destroy the law but I came to fulfill it. Now, if you've been coming to our studies on Sunday morning, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and we know that Jesus is everything. You're Jewish. You're part of this uh, 
position of, you know, Hebrew Christians now. And now you come to grips. It's not about the temple. In fact, Paul says, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But you come to that place now. Jesus is my complete sacrifice. Jesus is my high priest. I must come to him. I must go through the cross. He is Messiah. But if not, then I'm looking at judgment. He didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it. Beautiful concept. Now look at verse 29. We'll develop it some more. He says, of how much worse punishment now do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled? You know that Jesus is salvation, but who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. Oh, I look back at the years that I insulted the Spirit of grace. I look back at the years that the canker worm had stolen, and I had literally slapped Christ in the face. Each one of us fall trapped to that. In verse 29, greater the punishment will be for those who have trampled, the word is rejected, the Son of God, and then treated the blood of the covenant. This is Jesus' blood, as if it were a common and unholy thing. Uh, such people have insulted the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy and his grace to his people. If you've been coming to our Wednesday night Bible study, we've been looking at this beautiful position, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, we see three prepositions to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, in your life, in the life of the, the world. But we have to respond to it. Now, the first Greek word that is used is the word para. The Holy Spirit comes alongside. He comes alongside to lead me and guide me to truth, the truth of Christ. But he comes alongside, if I'm not a Christian yet, I'm not born again of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes alongside para to convict me of sin. And now I have to respond to that. In the book of Acts in chapter 2, when Peter brought forth that first sermon, it said that the people were cut to the heart. That's the power of God's Spirit. And so conviction comes. What must we do to be saved? Once the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, why run? But respond, Lord, you've convicted me. So the conviction hits, para, and I raise my hand, and I surrender to Jesus, and I accept his death on the cross. The Bible says that the second preposition is that the Holy Spirit comes into my life. And then the third preposition is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And the Holy Spirit came upon them, the Epi experience. And we see that in the book of Acts in chapter 2. It's called Pentecost. They were never the same. And the Holy Spirit comes after conviction, after coming in, and now the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he gives us the power, listen, and he gives us the strength to sustain from sin. The Holy Spirit will be my helper through the rest of my life. So verse 29, the Holy Spirit defines willful sin. You voluntarily choose to sin over and over again. No remorse. 
no conviction. Well, that's okay for me. I'm my own person. You can't tell me what to do. You only live once, go for all the goodness. You know, there's a lot of people that think that way. I thought that way. I mean, I'm religious. Come on. I believe in God. I believe that Jesus died for me, but I never accepted it. And so I can be that per person that rejects Christ. Now, let me give you these verses, and I read them earlier, or I commented on them. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, listen to what Jesus said. It speaks about the narrow gate and the wide gate concerning heaven or hell. In verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You see, it's our choice, church. And I tell you, the road to destruction is very big and very wide, and I was going that way, and so were you. But then I come to that place, again, the conviction. And now the road to salvation, it's very narrow and very straight, and only few enter it. And so we must come to the cross. Now in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, he speaks about the unpardonable sin. Now I want you to take this home with you. If you're here this morning, you're listening to the message on CD later, Maybe this will be put on the radio later. We don't know. If you're listening to the word of God, I can guarantee you, you've not committed the unpardonable sin. There are those that think, oh, I've done it, Pastor. The unpardonable sin, God doesn't want me. But let me share with you what Christ said. In Matthew 12, verse 31, Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. In other words, the Holy Spirit's come alongside, para, convicting over and over, but we keep rejecting. Somewhere, somehow, we'll come to that place of the unpardonable sin. I don't know when that takes place. I hope and pray that you don't know when that takes place. But where finally God says, that's enough. Your sin cannot be forgiven because they've totally rejected. In verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, listen to this, it will be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. In other words, you've rejected the Holy Spirit that's come alongside. And I tell you, You've shared my, I've shared my testimony with you before. In 1976, I started looking at the Word of God. And because I was challenged at work by my friend. Now, I was Catholic. I was raised in the church. I made all the sacraments that I needed to make. But I had never come to the place of saving grace. And I thought I was okay like so many of us. We think we're okay. And as the Holy Spirit convicted, it took a three-year span for me. But once I understood that I was a sinner and needing a Savior, then it all came together. And so literally, the Holy Spirit was doing His effective work. But when I completely and totally rejected over and over and over, I could come to that place of the unpardonable sin. No salvation. You see, I must go through the cross. I figured that you know, I was water baptized as a child. I'm going to heaven. 
I made my communion as a young boy. I made my confirmation as a young man. I mean, I'm going to heaven. But I've never received Christ, listen, as my personal Lord and Savior. In John 14, 6, it's probably one of the most radical verses that Jesus ever brought forth. And as one preacher said years ago, either Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father except through me. Well, listen, Pastor Bob, I believe in God. But I'm not so sure that I have to go through the cross. The Bible says you must go through the cross. Again, narrow is the way to salvation, but wide is the way to destruction. Why do we fight it? Why do we argue? You see, I wouldn't come to the cross. I kept relying on my traditions, my rituals, rites, and customs. And so here's the Hebrew Christians. They're relying upon their traditions, their religious rites. But we must come to the cross. Now, verse 30, let's get back to our text now. Paul, I believe, is the writer through the Holy Spirit. He begins to quote from the Old Testament. And he's drawn from Deuteronomy chapter 32. And then later, Paul pins it in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. But let's read verse 30. For we know him who said, he's speaking about God, vengeance is mine. I will repay, as saith the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Isn't it interesting? In the New Testament, it says the judgment must first come to the house of God. Now, there's two key verses I'm going to share with you this morning out of verse 30. First of all, what we mentioned, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. God's anger is stirred against his people, Israel. Why? Because of sin. In verse 35, I will take my vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it. In due time, their feet will slip. Their day of disaster will arrive. And their destiny will overtake them. Judgment, listen, will come to the Jew and to the Gentile. Old Testament, New Testament. Because those that reject God's love. In verse 36, Deuteronomy 32, uh, the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free man. God will bring forth his judgment. Our place is to come to saving grace. You see, God's final judgment will fall upon Jew and Gentile. Now, if you study church history and you look especially the life of Israel, We've been doing a lot of Old Testament studies on Wednesday night. God brought the Egyptians in and judged his people. Then God brought the Assyrians in and judged his people. And then God brings eventually the Babylonians, and he judged his people. Here in the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, God is going to use the Romans. God will use a heathen nation. I love what Pastor Chuck said years ago. I wonder who God is going to use to judge our United States of America. And church, we're no different. If we don't come to saving grace, judgment will come. You see, I read the book of Revelation. And Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 18, it's called the seven years of tribulation. And 
Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it's called Jacob's trouble. Interesting. Remember that Jacob's name was changed? You will no longer be called Jacob, heel catcher, but you will be called Israel, governed by God. Now, I believe strongly that the seven years of tribulation is to woo back the nation of Israel unto God. They will know that Jesus is their Messiah. Now, in the midst of that, Revelation 6 through 18, Gentiles will be there. And the Gentiles will come also to saving grace. I believe there will be a great revival during the time of the seven years of tribulation. But if you're a Christian during that time, you're going to have to be beheaded. Or else take the mark of the beast. Now, people look at the book of Revelation and say, well, it's allegorical. No, it's, it's truth. Well, there's things we don't understand of the book of Revelation. I'll agree with you. But what about the things that we do understand? What about the things that we do understand? They've always talked about Revelation 13, the mark of the beast, the 666, and every logic possible. And now they're inserting about the size of a rice grain, and they can easily implant it to the back of the neck of an animal so that if you lose your animal, your puppy, your cat, whatever it might be, maybe some of you have a pet goat, I don't know, they'll be able to follow him. Well, the same logic will be that they'll be able to follow you, determine who you are. Everything will be put in that little chip. I believe the time is right. Now, again, verse 30. Basically, he's saying here, we, we know the verse, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Be careful when we try to, you know, help God. Somebody does something to you. Somebody does something to me. I can still, you know, go back into my worldly uh, pleasures, and I know ways to get you. You know ways to get me. I've used this logic before. You've come against me. I know where you park your car at Walmart. I take a bottle, and I'll put it behind your back tire. Oops, when you back up. Sorry, you got a flat. I put it there in Jesus' name. No, that's not the way it works. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Now listen to this beautiful passage in Romans 12, 19. Do not take the revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, saith the Lord. Through the years that I've been a Christian, through the years that I've been in the ministry, there's always going to be people that come against you. And you know what our place is? Oh, Lord, I want to get them back. No, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Your place is to pray for them. I'm not going to pray for them. Yes, the Bible says to pray for those that come against you, those that hate you, those that persecute you. Pray for your enemies. It's unheard of. You see, we think like the world. I had a beautiful lady after the first service. She goes, Pastor Bob, thank you sharing that this morning because I always want to get back at them and that's our it's our nature you hurt me I want to hurt you you say something I want to say something but the Bible says vengeance is mine saith the Lord and then I recalled to her I said read David's prayers especially in the Psalms I tell you what when David prayed for his enemies Lord break their teeth Lord, break their cheekbones. And I have to be honest with you, I have never made that prayer. 
Our prayer should be, Lord, save them. Didn't Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So hand them over to the Lord. Well, Paul the Apostle, I'm going to hand them over to Satan. I've never done that either. I pray for them. I look at their life the way I was before I came to saving grace. We're ignorant. And we don't realize the power of God. And so here's these Hebrew Christians. They're struggling because they're already hated by their own group, their own people. Now watch. Let's go on. Verse 31. It is a fearful thing. This is a radical verse. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, not a dead God. It is a fearful thing. Uh, The word fearful here, it is a terrible, frightful thing to fall into the overwhelmed hands of the living God, the true and living God. God is not dead. He is alive and well. And if we don't receive his sacrifice of his son on the cross, then judgment will come. Well, you know, Christians are always talking about God's love. God's compassion and God's grace. And I agree. But there's also another teaching. If we reject Christ, the day will come of judgment. The day will come of judgment. Now, I remember this verse quoted to me years ago. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some understand slackness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to saving grace, to come to repentance. I mean, look how long God waited for you. Look how long God waited for me. Back in 1979, my wife and I both came to saving grace. And if you were a Christian way back then, at the end of the Jesus movement, and in 1982, the lining up of the planets... And Christians were convinced, especially in the Calvary Chapel realm that we were at, oh, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Well, 1982 is gone and passed, right? But how many of us here this morning, if Jesus would have returned in 1982, you were not saved. And so God has a purpose and a plan for everything. His time is a perfect time. God's time is so perfect. I rejoice when uh, somebody comes to know the Lord. And Peter's warning here, be careful with those that say, where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? Where is the promise of his coming? He's coming. He's coming. If you study prophecy, there's over 300 prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled in his second coming. Radical statement. Well, I have plenty of time. It won't happen in my time. Pray that it doesn't. Now in the Old Testament, I want you to write down this beautiful verse. Ezekiel was called the watchman. And he brought forth his message of hope. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 10 and 11. He begins here. Son of man, say to the house of Israel, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? You see, sooner or later, we are going to be judged by that sin nature. 
Again, God used in the Old Testament the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians here. Uh, in 70 AD, he's going to use the Romans. God's judgment will come. We know the seven years of tribulation. God's judgment will come. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Say to them, Ezekiel, as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their wicked ways and they live. Turn, he says. Turn from your wicked ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Well, I was thinking of that. Here's Ezekiel, the watchman. He's warning. He would sound the trumpet. And yet they wanted to kill Ezekiel, just like they wanted to kill Jeremiah, just like they did eventually kill uh, Isaiah the prophet. But God has always had his mouthpiece out there. Now, I'm looking at verse 31 again. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, not a dead God, but to fall into the hands of a living God. Adam Clark in his commentary, I, I go through various commentaries, but this particular uh, concept that he had, just, it just hit me like a rock. Adam Clark said, out of verse 31, the fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. To fall into the hands of God is to fall under his displeasure. And listen to this logic. He who lives forever can also suffer forever. Hmm. In other words, if you live forever, it's going to be in heaven. If you follow God's law, and the new covenant is his son, Jesus Christ. But we'll also live forever in suffering if we reject what God has given to us through his son. So live forever in heaven or suffer forever in hell. Radical statement. Adam Clark says... He who lives forever can also suffer forever. And then he concludes, how dreadful to have the displeasure of an eternal almighty God to rest on your soul forever. You see, when man is judged because he did not receive God's grace and mercy, when man is judged and he finds himself in hell, he cannot blame anybody but himself. I want you to think how many opportunities you had, I had, a three-year span. I had ample opportunity to receive Christ. Oh, so many times my friend Steve would come up and he says, Bob, would you like to receive Christ today? No, I'm okay. I'm okay. In fact, I used to threaten him. Leave me alone. I'm going to hit you. And so he'd leave me alone. And then two or three days later, he hadn't talked to me. He hadn't given me a scripture. He hadn't given me a tract. And I'd go up to him and I'd go, you haven't given me any Christian literature. You told me to leave you alone. I said, don't listen to me. Because see, inside, listen, we want to hear it. We want to hear it. I love what he had to say. Oh, I was offended, but that's my flesh. But down deep inside, and I told him later, we're still good friends. I told him, you know what, Steve? I remember in my own heart, I would say, I want what that kid has. He had peace. He had joy. I didn't have that. And so we really want what they have. What is it that transformed this young man? It's the power of God. 
So we have a choice. We can live forever in heaven or we can suffer forever in hell. Again, God leaves that in our camp. It's your ball. Take it and run. Do with what you please. Again, we come to the crossroads. I have a choice. I can choose righteousness or I can choose wickedness. But I can never tell God, you put me here. No, your sins put you in hell. Look at verse 32. Let's go back to our text. But recall, now he's talking to the Hebrew Christians, the struggles, the pains, the sufferings, the trials. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, the light bulb went on, remember? And we recognized that I needed a savior. He says, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. I remember when we became Christians and I thought, Man, this is great. Everything is going to be great now. Everything's going to be cool. And all of a sudden, the trials came. And all of a sudden, you recognize, well, what's going on in my life? Why am I going through this? The Bible says that we're going to suffer. Now, some of us would even suffer death. We see that. We're going to study in Hebrews chapter 11. But all of us suffer. Who does not go through a trial, a hardship, a pain? And so here in verse 32, the writer of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit, if it's not Paul the Apostle, he says, go back to the days that you were saved. The days you were sanctified, set apart for his glory. After you come to saving grace, after you were illuminated. In other words, the the light bulb went on and the truth of who Christ is God's marvelous agape love through his son. But then the trials came. It never fails. Those who come to saving grace will sooner or later face the trials, the hardships, and sometimes even the pain of death. Notice that he says, endure a great struggle. Listen to the Greek rendering. Endure or persevere a great struggle often fighting he uses an athletic term you know you you beat your body to do that race to do whatever it might be that's what he's saying you feel like after with suffering pain hardship sickness disease and infirmity look at some of the christian trials that christians go through we have christians in our fellowship here that have cancer We have Christians, too, right now that are up in the hospital room. I mean, why does it rain on the just and on the unjust? Just because we're Christians, we're not exempt. Why does a young Christian woman, I don't understand, that she's raped? How about a good Christian family and their child is abducted? I mean, horrible things, wicked things happen to the Christian church. Third world countries, definitely, but we're not accustomed to it here in our beautiful United States of America. But we're all susceptible to trials. Endure, persevere, great struggles. And he goes on. Look at verse 33 now. Partly while you were made a spectacle. Imagine being made fun of. And some Christians are. Made sport of. And they were in the early church. 
partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Now, he's talking about recalling your past as a Christian. The King James uses the word gazing stock. That spectacle. And I like the translation. You were exhibited as wild animals would be shown in a theater or something of that nature, and they would make fun of. That's what he's saying here. Made fun of, disgraced through your persecutions. You kept company with others that were also mistreated. You identified with them. The early church was often persecuted for their personal faith in Jesus Christ. And I tell you, I've gone through my trials. Some of you have gone through your trials. But you know what? We raised four daughters. Not one of them was ever put into an animal skin and then let loose in an arena so the wild beasts could tear them apart. That's where some of the things that Christians faced. Not one of us was one of our loved ones, you know, strapped by their legs by two horses and then literally split in half. That happened in the times of the early church. Not one of us have been made human torches. That's what Nero did to some of the Christians. But yet we all go through our trials. All of us go through our hardship. The NIV gives the best translation for verse 33. I want you to listen to it. The NIV says, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult, and persecution at other times you stood aside by side with those who were so treated it's interesting how we become one in Christ Jesus I identify you identify when my brother when my sister is going through their trial their hardship their pain in fact oftentimes when I'm up in the hospital bed praying for somebody and, and I see the hurt I see the pain and I'll ask in my own prayer, I say, Lord, why do they have cancer? Lord, why do they have leukemia? Lord, why do they have, Lord, and you know, you ask all the questions. And yet God in his sovereignty, he knows exactly. Uh, Paul wrote and he said, you will not be given any more than you can handle. And we've come to that place. You throw your hands up and you say, Lord, I can't handle it anymore. But yet God's grace is what sustains me, is what sustains you. These early Hebrew Christians here, imagine the hardship that they went through as believers. Look at verse 34 now. And he's still speaking about their trials. The writer says, for you had compassion on me in my chains. That's why I believe it was Paul the apostle. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Underline that joyfully accepted I can honestly say I don't joyfully accept all my trials it hurts it's painful but listen to what he's saying here for you had compassion on me in my chains and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have a better and enduring possess possession for yourself in heaven sometimes you lost everything as a believer Sometimes it was your inheritance, listen, was taken away because you were leaving Judaism and coming into Christianity. 
Now, for the Gentile, it was okay. But how dare you leave the mother church? And so Hebrew Christians were struggling. Now, Paul understood these type of trials. Many times he was in bondage in particular chains. How many times Paul was incarcerated and they would shackle him? Paul understood the trials, the hardship, the pain, the persecution. Paul lost everything, listen, to follow Jesus. Likewise, many of these Hebrew Christians, they lost everything. And then here's that translation. They joyfully accepted it. Even when they took away their personal goods. Imagine losing everything. I was thinking of this passage. Years back in Southern California, there was a dual team, husband and wife, Ernie and Debbie Rotino. You've been a Christian long enough, and there in Southern California, uh, they would do the circuit. Beautiful, beautiful worship team, husband and wife. Well, Debbie was a, a Christian, obviously. Both of them were, but she was a Hebrew Christian. She was a strong Jewish faith that she came from. Listen, she lost everything. I remember they shared testimony and Debbie's parents, that were strong Jews, they disowned her. I have four girls, my wife and I, you know. I, I can't imagine disowning one of your children. How can you turn your back on one of your children? No matter what they've done. I mean, moms, we're forgiving. Dads, you're forgiving. You see, I, I worked in prison ministry, and I know moms that visited a son that was incarcerated in L.A., another son that was, you know, at YTS, Youth Authority in Chino, and then the third one was in Chino State Prison. Mom on Sunday would go to all three. Why? Because of love of a mother. Debbie's parents disowned her to the point. Listen, they had a mock funeral. They killed her off. I, I just can't imagine that. God forbid that one of our children would go into a cult, a well-known cult. You're going to disown them? No, I think the opposite. You're going to pray for them. You're going to love them back into the kingdom of God. But they literally had a mock trial. Radical. Now, some of these Hebrew Christians were losing even their goods, their material possessions. Imagine that. They look beyond their material wealth because they look to heaven. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, What will it profit a man or a woman if he gains or she gains the whole world but loses her own soul? If you listen to the news this week, I guess Mr. Bill Gates is again taking the realm. He's the richest man in the world. He has billions that he doesn't even know of. Now, that's okay. But does Mr. Bill Gates, does he know Jesus? Oprah, she's, she's in that same category, top ten in the Forbes. But does she know Jesus? Michael Jackson recently died. But did he know Jesus? You see, it doesn't matter. When they play an old Elvis song, and then usually it's a hymn. And, oh, it's beautiful. But did he know Jesus? You can sing about God, you can sing about Christ, but do you have a personal relationship? 
What does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world but to lose his own soul? Now, this verse stuck in my heart when I came into ministry. In Mark chapter 10, verse 29, 31, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers and sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, verse 30, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. In other words, he's going to repay you one day, homes, brothers, sisters, mother, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions. Persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. No matter what you go through. In verse 31, but many who are first will be the last. You see, God calls us. And you might have to leave. Now, we had to leave, my wife and I, 850 miles to come to New Mexico. And it was not easy. But I look back, and we give God the glory. You know how many weddings we've missed back home? We have a big family, both sides. How many funerals we've missed? How many birthdays? How many anniversaries? And the list goes on and on. But somehow, some way, God sustains us. We were just, this past week, we were in Albuquerque. We were with our middle daughter and her daughter and her husband. Had a beautiful time. But yesterday, leaving in the morning was not easy. Because we don't know when we're going to see them again. And it's only, you know, 230 miles. But the pain, the hurt. Jesus knew. <laughs> and so sometimes you come to Christ and you lose much more. This verse always spoke to me. In John 14, verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled, agitated. You believe in God, believe also in me. And I love this. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the word mansions are dwelling places and rooms, abodes, and whatever God has for us. So you give up everything to serve God. He's going to bless you one day. Now, be careful with those that say, listen, whatever you do here on earth and you send to heaven, you're going to have a bigger mansion. Don't, don't buy that, please. Listen, I don't care if my mansion is lesser than your mansion. I want to get to heaven. I want to get to heaven. I remember one of my assistant pastors, he shared, listen, if you have a bigger mansion, you get to heaven, and I'm there, I'll gladly sweep your porch. I want to get to heaven. That's the logic behind it. But imagine what they were going through. These Hebrew Christians. Now look at verse 35. He sews it back up. Therefore, in other words, everything that we've been talking about now, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. What is our great reward? Whatever we're going through here on earth, one day we're going to be in eternity with God forever. So the writer in verse 35, therefore, what we have been sharing or talking about, do not cast away. Do not throw away your assurance. That's confidence. Do not throw away your boldness. That's confidence. Do not throw away your courage. And I like this one. 
The word confidence can be translated. Do not throw away your freedom of speech. Share God's love with others. Hang on to your faith because one day it will have great reward. The translation there in the Greek is large payback. The payback will be heaven bound one day. Don't throw away that bold trust that you have in the Lord. No matter what happens, what trials we might go through. Remember the great reward waiting for you. It's going to be heaven. Now, I've never seen streets of gold. The best that we could do with our commodity is asphalt. Can you imagine? God paves his streets with gold. You've been seeing the info commercials? Send your gold in. Send it in. We'll send you money. And here's everybody sending their gold in. How do you know they're going to send you back the right amount? But imagine the streets of gold now. Mm, I like that. Now look at verse 36. For you have need of endurance. I like this. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promises of God. Concerning what you're going through now, Christian. He's talking to the Hebrew Christians. They were going through many trials. Concerning what you're going through right now. And I want you to ask yourself, what is it that you're going through? Ask God for endurance. The word endurance here is patience. And I learned years ago, don't ever pray for patience because God is going to send you trials. Because after you have accomplished the will of God in your life, you will receive his promise. The ultimate promise of God, eternal life. Again, go back to that scripture. Hold on to that mustard seed faith in Christ. One day he will fulfill his promise. Now, you've been a Christian long enough. You're going to go through your trials. I, I love this passage. You've studied it before. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation in verse 7. Dear brothers and sisters, you must be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmer who eagerly look uh, for the rains to fall and then to fall in the spring and the fall. They patiently wait for the precious harvest to ripen. Verse 8, you too must be patient and take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Patience. We are so impatient. I know I am. We go down here to Al Paseo. You're going to get a burger. You're going to get something to eat. And you want the shortest line. That's just the way we are. I mean, we have drive through for our banks. We have drive through for our cleaners. I'll tell you what, if we could drive through the dentist, we would do it. <laughs> just open your mouth, let them drill you, keep going. Because that's who we are. We're just impatient people. How many times, do, see if I'm the only one. You go over here to Walmart or Kmart or whatever, and, you know, you keep going around and around, hoping somebody's going to pull out up in the front. And then you and 42 others want to get into that one spot. We're just impatient. Now, the word patience is perseverance. Patience, I remember this in my study years ago. Patience builds character. It builds strength. It builds endurance. It builds stamina. God is strengthening you through your trial. 
I remember when my pastor shared, you're going to go through trials. God's building patience. He's building character. I said, Lord, I've got enough character. Leave me alone. But you're going to go through your trials. We're all going to go through our trials. Imagine the Hebrew Christians. Imagine, you know, even losing your inheritance. Imagine losing your lands because you've come to Christ. Now we come to the conclusion, and here's what we draw. The just shall live by faith. It's taken out of Habakkuk chapter 2. In verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. The return of Christ will happen. The Greek is saying in a short span of time, and listen to this, it's been 2,000 years already. The second coming of Jesus Christ will take place. He will not delay. Listen to the translation. He will not tarry. He will not linger. You see, we look at 2,000 years, and I can, you know, in my head, I can understand 2,000 years. But God doesn't have a calendar. God doesn't go around with a, a Timex. God has his time, and his time is short. Verse 38, now the just, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, backslides, my soul has no pleasure in him. So when we speak about the just, it's the born-again believer. When we speak about the just, it's the righteous man or righteous woman. A righteous person, man or woman, will live by his or her faith in Jesus Christ. I will have no pleasure, he says, in anyone who turns away, who backslides. Again, go back to what we studied in the beginning. Judgment will be there for those that reject the Messiah. The conclusion, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We're not like others. We're different. The Bible calls us a peculiar people. We're like those who, uh, we don't turn our back on God. They seal their fate already. You turn your back on God, judgment is coming. We have faith, that's assurance of my salvation, your salvation. Now, Habakkuk is what the writer is drawing from. The just shall live by faith. Let me just give you a little bit of background. We're going to come to the conclusion. The book of Habakkuk, he was one of the minor prophets, a short prophetic book of the Old Testament that deals with the problems of evil and human suffering in the time of Judah, of the southern kingdom. During the reign of King Manasseh, the best way to describe Manasseh, he was evil, he was wicked. And yet he was the king of Judah at this time. Now remember, he is the son of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was going to die. The prophet said, get ready, get your house in order. And he cried out to the Lord. And God gave him 15 more years. And in that 15-year span, Manasseh was born. He's an evil, wicked king. Manasseh was so evil, it's believed traditionally that he is the one that had Isaiah, the prophet, placed in a log and then sawn in half. This man was pure evil. And so the writer draws from Habakkuk, the just shall live by 
their faith. Uh, church, hang on to your faith. No matter, you know, what the circumstances. The times are going to get worse and evil and more wicked in our United States of America. The time could easily come when they're going to censor your pastors. There could be the time that could come and the churches could be shut down. I mean, it happens in third world country. It'll never happen in our United States of America. Well, how do we know? But whatever trial we go through, the just, you're the just, you're the believer, must live by faith. And man, just have mustard seed faith. Bible says you can move a mountain. I've always been intrigued by that woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years. The best she could do she grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment. They were going through the, her city. And, and there was an entourage of people. But do you remember when she grabbed the whole of his garment? Jesus stopped. And he said, who touched me? And I could just hear the disciples. What do you mean, who, who touched? Everybody's touching you. But somebody touched him. Listen, by faith. Touched him by faith. She wanted a healing. She had exhausted all her finances. And God healed her. I want that kind of faith. I hope you want that kind of faith. The just shall live by their faith. We have personal faith, each one of us. There are things that my wife is very faithful, and there are things that I'm faithful, and that's why we're combined together. But the just shall live by their faith. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace your love and your mercy lord what a, a precious study this morning the just shall live by faith and yet we saw the hebrew christian how they struggled trial after trial after trial losing some of them their inheritance their livelihood imagine that you would lose your job because you became a christian lord help us to understand the just shall live by their faith in Christ. And Lord, I pray this morning, I know we're a small group this morning, but maybe somebody's here and you've never received Christ. I want to give you that opportunity. If the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart, if the Holy Spirit has cut your heart and you've never come to saving grace, maybe you're very religious, but you've never accepted Christ. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at. If you'd like to receive Christ, please raise your hand, and I'll say a simple prayer of faith with you this morning. Anybody, before we leave, you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Indicate by raising your hand. Praise the Lord, then, if we are all Christians. Let's rejoice and give God the glory. Father, thank you for these beautiful saints of yours, Lord. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us in clarity. And Lord, we pray for blessing upon blessing, especially those of us that are going through trials. Lord, I think of my dear brother Daniel that has that cancer. I didn't see him this morning, first or second service. That means he's having a bad day today. That chemotherapy is just kicking him. Lord, I pray for Daniel. He has such faith, and he's trusting you, Lord. And we ask you to heal him. We ask you to heal him 
completely. We ask you, Lord, as a woman with the issue of blood, reached out to grab a hold of the hem of your garment. Let Daniel grab a hold of that same garment and touch him, Lord. Bless your beautiful people here this morning. Lord, bless the offerings as you've given to us. We give back a portion. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. We worship you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.